My lord and gentlemen, countries of sound. Welcome to the Centuries of Sound Radio podcast, the mid-monthly show where we discuss and give some context to these records. This show was originally recorded in March 2018 as our pilot for the series, and therefore features Sean in his first and last appearances. Hi Sean, wherever you are. If you enjoy these shows, please consider supporting Centuries of Sound on Patreon. For $5 per month, you can get full downloads of mixes and these radio podcasts a year earlier. Come along to patreon.com slash centuriesofsound to find out more. Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and welcome to Centuries of Sound, the show where we use surviving recordings to travel back to a year in the history of sound recording. My name's James. And I'm Sean. I run the Centuries of Sound website where I put together a mix every month. You can check all of these out at centuriesofsound.com. The mixes on there have so far reached 1912 and 1913 is coming in about a week. But for this radio version so far, we are up to 1901. And let's start things off with this, something which needs no introduction as it already contains one. Trombone solo, the Patriot, played by Mr. Arthur Pryor with Sousa's band. Thank <laughs> you. 
So that was Arthur Pryor with Sousa's band, and it was uh, The Patriot. So what did you think of that, John? I thought that was interesting. I'd certainly, uh, it was felt like it was rooted in two worlds. You had, of course, the traditional military marching band music, um, kind of thumping, prodding along, but also towards the end, when it was sped up, almost echoes of jazz. Um, and mm. you could also it straining towards that new form of music, which, of course, is not mm. yet present in American music, but you can almost feel... Mm. There's something to dance to, despite the fact most of it is what you'd hear in Cambridge Town Centre when the mayor walks past. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So this is a uh, very old music. The year we're covering today is 1901, and uh, people might not realise that recorded music goes back that far. In fact, it goes back quite a lot further than that, uh, although the sound quality often is not so great. And, uh, of course, yeah, we are a long time before jazz still. Uh, the first jazz recordings, we'd say, is 1916, 1917, usually. Mm. It's uh, not quite that clear-cut in reality. Sousa's band were the big marching band of the time. Marching bands weren't uh, a minority interest at this time in America. They were mainstream entertainment. Every small town would have its own marching band, and they'd all play this kind of music and everyone from the uh, poorest people to the richest people this was the mainstream entertainment they they all enjoyed um it does sound strange these days that that was the mainstream entertainment but you know this it's a very different world Sousa was uh most famous these days for the monty python theme tune oh really yeah there's a, wow. a, a few other ones that people might recognize uh he, he he wrote as well he was a huge star in his day but he hated recorded music he said mm. it was canned music and he refused to record any any music at all but by this point he wasn't the leader of his band he was uh, more on the writing side than as a band leader uh, arthur pryor was the band leader at this time and he was much keener on getting stuff down on wax um he was a, a cornet soloist and uh, you can hear him on that track it's one long cornet solo with uh, backing uh Arthur Pryor was recording quite a lot of what would soon come to be called ragtime music. Um, not pure ragtime in any sense at all, but taking a lot of those influences and putting them into his music as a way of kind of introducing new sounds mm. there. But it was still, it was the, the big sound of the time was, was still marching bands. Um, let's hear another example of that uh, kind of dominant music of the time. This is uh, Kendall's First Regiment Band. Thank you. 
Okay, so that was Kendall's first regiment band with Cotton Blossoms. Um, so that's from 1901, as all the music you'll be hearing today is. So uh, let's talk a little about 1901. It's an intriguing period of history, isn't it, when we have in, in the United Kingdom, Queen Victoria dies and is replaced with um, Edward VII. Um, and in America, President McKinley is... I think he's assassinated or does he die from the coal? Oh, never... he's assassinated. Assassinated, there we so. are. And replaced with Theodore Roosevelt, um, mm. Teddy Roosevelt, played wonderfully by Robin Williams in Night of the Museum. Before we came on here, we were discussing about whether 1901 is, can we say it as the last of the old world, first of the new, or is that mm. more of a anachronism that actually has no well, place is now it, in Is music? it even the 20th century? Is it the first year of the 20th century? Mm. Was that 1900? Should we get an answer on this one? Ooh, it's controversial. We need an adjudication of some sort. Um, I suppose musically, it feels very much still in the late 19th century to me. Mm. Um, As does everything for the next 15 years or so, let's say. It's it's, it's almost as if nothing really changes in 1901. And certainly, I think, no matter where you are in the world, 1901, you wouldn't have felt, I've suddenly turned a new century, it's not new century, new me, um, Mm -hmm. um, kind of thing. I think... Edwardians would have still felt themselves quite the same under Edward as they would have done under Victoria the year before. Um, mm. Okay, their king was a bit more fun-loving than um, their queen was before. But aside from that, there's really not a huge amount of um, difference. I mean, I suppose now, looking back, we can see that the world is edging ever so slowly towards World War One. Mm. We can see the imperial tensions rise. Japan has uh, had its first war with uh, China and is at this moment um, negotiating a treaty with Britain to curtail the influence of Russia so you can see slowly these mm. tensions rising up but I, I didn't get the sense from the music that this was um, something they were feeling well it's it's hard to say The what, what comes through in what's recorded it's still a novelty mm. it's, yeah. it's still a novelty thing so it's uh, very little of what's going on in the real world comes through mm. you would say um, but you can get kind of hints of it Um and uh, I think, well, yeah, it's the beginning of that. Sometimes we say the Edwardian summer between mm. the straight-laced Victorian era and the horrors of the First World War. Mm. So um, I, I don't know if you can get a feel of that a little mm. bit from the music. Possibly. Possibly. In the USA. Let's mm-hmm. have a talk about the yes. USA. So they've got McKinley uh, being yes. being assassinated and uh, the beginning of the, the uh, leadership of uh, Roosevelt. So, what do we make of Roosevelt? Well, he's he's, he's almost seems to be enjoying a vogue at the moment. Um, I've got a few friends in America who are all sharing his quotes um, hmm. about because he's he's that intriguing mix of big bravado, chauvinist, you know, walk, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick, and a man who you know hunts bears in his spare time and hmm. rides bare-chested, and he and Putin would probably get on quite well mm-hmm. in those regards. But at the same time, he's genuinely a progressive who wants to limit the power of American uh, trusts, uh, huge corporations, mm. and he does seem interested in some small, minor way about the uh, plight of the poor, uh, as long as you're white, I think. Mm, indeed, indeed. I think he did make some kind of shows towards uh, making things fairer, but of mm. course we are in the the Jim Crow era yes. right now, and um, uh, things are not looking well, lo- not looking good for black people in the USA in 1901. I'm mm-hmm. afraid. Yeah, slaves have been emancipated 40 years earlier, um, but despite several amendments of the Constitution, many of them still can't vote uh, either because 
outright laws, the Jim Crow laws in the South, or mm. because they're simply denied access to the ballot or education. Siphon mm. uh, figures like William Dubois, who was an American history professor, there are very few African Americans in quote unquote public life mm. um, in the South. There's no one you have to be South and a black to be a black man in the South. You're still effectively a slave. Um, mm. um, which is why I was wondering whether that's in American music, do we feel the influence of African-Americans yet or is it still very much a white we man's... Can, we can very much feel it. I think one mm-hmm. interesting thing, we, we talk about these Jim Crow laws, but Jim Crow himself is the it's, it's kind of the the character that originated mm. minstrel shows. Um, it's a, a, a kind of terrible caricature of a black man. Mm. Uh, there's a song called Jump Jim Crow it starts off with and it's it's been in the media recently. There was the uh, Childish Gambino video that's been mm-hmm. very... Uh, very yes, of course. Remarked upon recently, mm. where he's doing the the Jim Crow pose, um, mm. making kind of statements about that. Uh, minstrel shows, of course, are not not the most popular thing <laughs> in the twenty first century. They're not looked up, looked upon very well at all. Um, but as as with marching band music, they were a huge component of popular entertainment at the time. And um, yeah, there's a, a, a lot of. We we say minstrel shows are not looked on well, but then you you say something like vaudeville. Mm-hmm. Vaudeville people kind of have a a nice kind of uh, rosy glow when they think mm. about that. But vaudeville is the later version of minstrel shows. Really, mm. um, it was the revival minstrel shows that kind of took away the the nice parts and turned it back into something else. Kept the overt racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, minstrel shows were a strange thing. They had a, mm. a whole. Uh, uh, structure that they'd abide by. There'd be an opening overture. There'd be uh, Mr. Bones and Mr. Interlocutor and mm-hmm. Mr. Tambo. There's the, mm. the set characters on the sides of the stage. Yeah. And they'd be exchanging quips and then there'd be musical numbers. It was a very well worked out uh, standard of how they did entertainment in those days. And they would have these touring shows going around, mm. which, which, like I say, turned later mm. into vaudeville. And would this be popular across American society, or would it be a lower class or an upper class? This is popular yeah. across American society, mm-hmm. and there would even be black minstrel shows mm-hmm. going around. And when I say black minstrel shows, they they would uh, put black makeup on their face to make them look more black. That was that was how they did that. Wow. Um, they still weren't allowed in the the best establishments as they would oh, say hmm. um so it was it's a more complex issue than you might imagine although in some ways that belies how deeply racist it was mm-hmm. um when i'm listening to these recordings there's so much kind of racism under the surface that it is often very shocking mm-hmm. um and no more shocking in the the name of the popular music of the time um i think everyone's familiar with the word ragtime you might think about scott joplin's piano pieces um that's a, a i don't want to say a sanitized version of what they had at the time but it's uh, certainly not the realistic picture of what they had then um mm. we have the the kind of dance version of uh, ragtime, which with, with a band, which mm-hmm. would be usually called um, cakewalk. We have the kind of st- the piano ragtime, which th- there's no recordings of really, and uh, then we have the pop song version of it, which unfortunately has the name of coon songs. Ah, yes, uh, that's a, a racial pop- slur of e- exactly. It's it's mm. they they've seen that uh, black people have this 
this culture and these mm. songs and they, they're trying to uh, use that and imitate that to sell sheet music mm. um, and it the the thing is some, some of the bit most famous writers of these songs on uh, what would become Tin Pan Alley soon mm. is uh, uh, black black men as well mm. so and uh, the, the most uh, the biggest selling recording artist of the 1890s mm-hmm. was George W. Johnson uh-huh. who was a a, a black man that they found in in New York performing on a street corner, and uh, he, he had two songs only that he recorded. That there were a few other ones, but he he sat in front of this recording horn and recorded them day after day. These two songs, mm. and one of them you might know in a later version as the, the Laughing Policeman. It was oh. called the Laughing Song. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he one of, maybe the most recorded artist in history. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking. Uh, when we have these kind of songs, and I don't want to say the name again, we have uh, white people doing uh, horrible, ludicrous impersonations of black men. And when you when you think that that is terrible, but within those, you can sometimes find songs that are not bad, and you just have to kind of put that to the side. What, for a moment, put it to the side. And uh, because, you know, it's... It's so embedded and it's so ingrained within mm. all the music at the time. It's abandoning it completely would be abandoning, let's say, fifty percent of what's being recorded. And um, quite often, the people involved, you find out that they they had quite a good kind of uh, interaction with yeah. black artists um, as well. In this case, I don't know about that. This is uh, Silas Leachman, who uh, made a living out of this kind of thing. This is kind of horrible, but it's not bad as well. This is uh, Silas Leachman with Truscalina Brown. Oh, honey, come here, come here, baby. You certainly are fast for me, you creep down my tail, and you're definitely snake goo goo, snake goo goo, snake goo goo, that's proper. Does a happy time are coming in the sleep by and by? Tell all the darkies not to carry. Lots of ginger cake and wine and pumpkin pie More than she can carry I'm a crying to marry, gentlemen, I'm a twice Trusty line of brown, Mr. Man In <laughs> the off to y'all a gal, that was it And all the coons in town Them crazy on their faces, everyone has got the brown I'm going to marry Trusty Dina Brown In a ring of them A golden bell for the bell Ring of them A golden bell for the bell Tell the current population The whole United Nations To call a little killing From the dead Ring of them A golden bell for the bell On my crown, is I'm going to marry Trusty Dinah Brown. Yes, you set me up sweet when I'm a kitty. <laughs> yes. Does I heap the trouble waiting for a big yellow coon that dares on his life to pull a raven? Everyone's a gentleman that's on the invitation. They buzz out little Johnny Frazier. Then won't it be a great time? That's what it's trying to be. At the church of San Mr. Man, Mr. Man. 
In my tender suit to wedding blue I'll be your social lion Well, the queen's with envy turning white The wench is all a cry Well, she, she, yeah And everybody at the bride A kid and they'll be tried In the ring of them a golden beer Full of beer, full of beer Ring of them a golden beer Okay, so what do you make of that then, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that really, that's, that really is something, isn't it? That's yeah. I mean, it's it, it it's racist on the on the surface, mm. and it's it's more racist if you can hear all the words and understand what they are. Uh. There's it, it, various kind of caricatures of black people, and you always hear about them carrying razors and things like that. Mm. It's it's uh, it is appalling, but you know, if you if you leave it out, you're you're missing. Mm. what mainstream American culture is like and how deeply, deeply racist it is, mm. um, which is um, an uncomfortable truth, but one that, you know, we need to recognise. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, you, you weren't you weren't hugely impressed by Silas Leachman. Not one I'd be putting in the party rotation <laughs> for Spotify next time, I think. No, no. Well, this one next that you might you might consider probably not but you may consider george walker and burt williams were two black performers who started their careers in the usual blackface minstrel troops before meeting in san francisco in 1893 and deciding to set up a highly original show called the gold bug which consisted of songs dance and sketch comedy uh, minstrel shows at this point have become highly ritualized with stock characters performing it in a set of predictable routines Williams and Walker, aside from their jettisoning of these conventions, wrote songs about the realities of life without either the cheerful chuckle or the sardonic wink that was expected in popular entertainment. And it's a complete breath of fresh air to hear it. His songs are different. You'll, you'll hear straight away how different they are. They kind of have an honesty about them, and not just a, an honesty about uh, his experience as a black man living in America, but kind of a, a humanity that is very attractive and really uh, kind of kind of rings down the ages at you. He um, didn't really get, but well, he he died soon after jazz became a big thing. Mm. He didn't really get into jazz. He was always a vaudeville performer, but um, if you can hear his performing style, I don't think anyone else has had that same performing style since, and it's really amazing. Let, let's let's have a listen to Bert Williams yes, with uh, "All Going Out and Nothing Coming All In." All going out and nothing coming in. Sung by Mr. Bert Williams of Williams and Walker. Money is the root of evil everywhere you go. But nobody have any objection to the root now, ain't that so? You know how it feels with money, how it makes you feel at ease. Things look bright all around, and your friends them sick as bees. But oh, when your money is a running low, and you're clinging to a solitary dime, no one can see why you come in that and all the time. Oh, that I'm the time. Oh, that I'm the time. 
Oh, when it's all going out and there's nothing coming in, Lord, that am the time when the trouble begins. Your money's getting low. People say I told you so. And you can't buy a penny from any of your kin. And it's all going out and there's nothing coming in. I've had my share of this world smiles. No one knows how I've tried to keep my little boat from sinking and the battle with the tide. You know when you got your money, how easy it is to keep afloat. Your friends are mighty numerous and they help you to row your boat. But oh, when your money is running low, times is bad and things look mighty blue. You look for help and find that all of your friends is paddle in their own canoe. Oh, that I'm the time, oh, that I'm the time, oh, oh, oh. when it's all going out and nothing coming in, that am the time when the trouble begins, people get low, they say I told you so, and you can't buy a penny from any of your kin, and it's all going out and there's nothing coming in. Okay, so that was Burt Williams. That's a bit better, isn't it? That's something a bit better, as you say. There's something a bit more relatable to that. Certainly, I think we've all had, mm. uh, especially as it's such a long month near payday, with nothing, <laughs> all going out and nothing coming in. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt myself sympathising with that somewhat. U- universal things that are yeah. still felt today, definitely. Yeah. Uh, he's a, He's got a much more famous song called Nobody mm. in, in 1905 coming up, but mm. yeah, today it's 1901. Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. This is Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. Let's, let's, let's move around the world a bit. I'd like to move to the UK, but um, I'm afraid I can't. I don't have any nice recordings from the UK right now. Do you know that? Why? Is that a lack well, of recordings in general? Or Well, it's funny because if you, if you go back to 1888, mm. for example, the majority of recordings I have from that era from the UK um, and a while after that as well the problem right now is um, um, archiving um, mm-hmm. I, I get most of these from a f- few different websites and uh, there's a uh, one in uh, California, Berkeley, California. They did ah. they digitize a lot. There's quite a few collections coming up on uh, archive.org and uh, there are various compilations but in the UK, there is the British Library, mm-hmm. who had a wonderful exhibition just now about the history of sound recording that I'd recommend if it hadn't just closed. Um, but as, as far as things that are online and available to listen to, and let alone download, there is almost nothing from this time. The earliest recordings, sure. But getting on 10 years later, no, it all dries up. Um, so we can't really cover the UK. If we could cover the UK, there'd be lots of interesting music hall stuff going on. Um, mm. There was a, a John Peel did a thing called Peelennium, mm-hmm. uh, where he went through every year from 1900 to uh, uh, 2000 and picked four tracks. Unfortunately, the tracks he picked from 1900 and 1901 and, and those kind of years, it seems none of them were really recorded then um mm. i i don't know what happened a researcher just decided they were because they couldn't find anything um anyway let's let's move on to some different parts of the world um let's go across to japan let's say uh, what's going on in japan uh, well japan is undergoing 
rapid industrialization in this time. They're rapidly expanding into China. They're signing treaties with Britain and America and against Russia. They clearly are seeing themselves as a first-rate imperial industrial power um, with all mm. the imperial pretensions that goes with that. And you've got to remember, you know, just 40 years before, Japan was still ruled by shoguns uh, until the Americans sent a gunboat in and forced them to open up their... Uh, ports and their trade and their lands and all the rest of it to good old American capitalism. Um, hmm. So thanks for that, Americans. Okay. Well, well, it, at least it meant that we could get some recordings from Japan, and unlike the UK for some reason. Hmm. So um, I, will, I will make a go at pronouncing this name. The name is Kinosuke. I hope that's right. Kinosuke. The track name is uh, Tokiwazu Motoribashi. I've probably got that completely wrong. Sorry, I don't speak any Japanese. Uh, let's, let's have a listen to a little of that. So some uh, some early J-pop there, <laughs> very very early, I think. Yeah, from uh, uh, Kinosuke. Um, as you can hear, even though Japan had uh, influence from the USA at this time, their music is still very traditional. Yeah, there's not not much of the uh, not even a hint of jazz in the no, in, in that no. at all, is there? There's no. Um, hmm. I wish I knew what they were saying. If anyone does know. Uh, yeah, yeah, please, please do. Yeah, right in. Uh, it's uh, yeah, ethnographic music. There's a, mm. a collection of ethnographic music this belongs to. Um, so there were people going round with uh, recording horns um, yeah. around the world at this time. Some uh, very exciting kind of trips to very remote places, when mm. completely uh, uh, places that nobody went to, that they go and record local kind of folk songs. So there was a, were these Western people who were recording these. Um, generally speaking, yes. Um, although that's a, that's a good point because in 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 Russia, on the other hand, mm-hmm. we have uh, uh, some of the first classical music recordings were made in Russia. There mm-hmm. was a, a guy called Julius Bloch mm-hmm. who recorded a lot of music in Russia, classical music only, of course. That was uh, the only real music as far as he considered it. Um, at this point, though, in 1901, we have these 
Berliner discs, so so records rather than wax cylinders being mm-hmm. recorded. Wow! And uh, an explosion in because the the copyright because of legal shenanigans had been immediately lost. Uh, many <laughs> many many different recording studios opening up in Russia, and uh, a, a kind of a mini explosion in Russian recordings as well. So I, there's a website called RussianRecords.com where they have a, a huge amount of recordings. You, you really can't navigate your way through them. Um, let's have a listen to uh, one of those. This is uh, Orchestra Garmony. Uh, it's, it's called an orchestra, but it, it is literally two two harmonicas, possibly one even. Um, and it's a, a Vosado Liv Ograde. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, so here we go. Orchestra Garmony. So that's orchestra garmony, uh, harmony, I think. Yeah. Um, garmony is harmony. Um, I, I don't know why they're called an orchestra. They, they've made quite a lot of discs at this time, mm. this this uh, orchestra that's just one guy. Um, Perhaps orchestra sounds more impressive. Yeah, maybe there's some translation problem there. Mm. Maybe maybe people could help out why that is why that's labelled like that. So how about mm. Russia? What's going on in Russia in 1901? Oh, Russia. Well, Russia is... Some, well, it's obviously 16 years off from the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, Russia is still a fairly agricultural um, society, obviously, in places like Moscow um, mm-hmm. and St. Petersburg. There is culture and there is electricity and all the rest of it, but it's still vast swathes of the Russian countryside. Peasants have been freed about 20, 30 years earlier, but still mm-hmm. a lot of modernization to be done. In a couple of years' time, Russian Prime Minister Peter Stolypin will try to encourage a... Uh, revolution from below by giving lands to some of the richer kulak peasants but at the moment it's still fairly agricultural uh fairly mm. traditional and I, I got a sense of that from the music you know honestly it was quite yeah. a traditional um piece though again recorded on western or western quote-unquote more modern methods mm-hmm. um so it feels like that is a russia on its 
hmm. just before the turning point. Yeah. At the same time, though, it was a hotbed of culture as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So many famous, uh, well, uh, I think as far as composers go, we're kind mm. of between generations a little bit, but there's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, many famous composers around and uh, classical musicians and uh, writers, playwrights. Um, mm. This is the Chekhov is in his swing at this point mm. with his uh, uh, three most famous plays. And yeah. It's all around 1901. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's plenty of kind of culture going on as well, mm. I'd say. Although maybe uh, for the majority of Russians, they wouldn't experience it's, that. Yeah, very mm. much an elite culture mm. still at this point, perhaps. Um, so let's, let's hear some of that elite culture. Um, this is a... a, a recording i dug out from this uh russian record site and uh, there's minimal information about this on the internet uh, there's a one web page has chronicled who this is you can go out and find her maria a mikhailova and uh the the the, the song has a french name i think it's a french composer is charmant oiseau like charming bird
Okay, so some serious vocal gymnastics there. Yeah, that was seriously impressive. The yeah. range on her was... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we called it whistle pitch. Well, she was imitating a flute, mm-hmm. so she was copying a flute. Um, yeah, I, I've heard another few recordings of that particular song, but this one, she she really goes for it with that flute at the end. <laughs> what happened to her in the end? Did she? Oh, I, it's it's. I, I'm not sure. Mm. She she was around in in this this 20 years or so, and mm. then uh, who knows what happens to anyone in Russia after 1918, basically. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, she she may have she may have gone abroad. Who knows? Um, there's quite quite a lot of famous sopranos in in Russia at this time. Yeah. So you. When you when you go on those websites, there's so many of these uh, uh, opera recordings, and the majority of them are landfill landfill opera, I yeah. would call them. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite a quite a trudge editing through that. So uh, this is this is one of the highlights. Let's say I'm I'm not a huge opera fan, but I do appreciate it when it's very good. Um, and in, in Russia, it, some of it at this time is very good. Let's say that. Um, okay, so. Uh, classical music and in general is is it is it your thing Sean um i like classical music if well it's nice when you're working mm, i think can be can um, be it drives opera, small children opera, away then. how about oh. that the only time i've ever seen opera was when i was in vienna and i went to the mm. viennese opera house and that was incredible but yeah uh, the show the show yes. can be good but i don't speak german well, so i think it probably helps yeah um yeah it, it, when I've heard opera where I know the word, where I can hear the words, it, it does mm. seem a little bit more silly, and I don't think it can take being a little bit more silly, to be honest. Um, the opera that was in English, I think this at this time, if you're in the UK, the the high level music, the music that you'd find on in the more prestigious venues, we would call operetta. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a Gilbert and Sullivan that kind Ooh, of yes. thing. Um, so this is a we we have a. a, a we don't have some operetta here because I'm not not a huge fan of operetta, uh, but we have the theme from a famous operetta at least. So it's a poet and peasant is the name of the operetta, and this is a Gilmore's band playing uh, the, the 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 theme music. We can say to that particular operetta. Thank you. 
so that was the Poet and Peasant Overture uh, by Gilmore's band. What did you make of that? Well, it was certainly rumbunctious, I think. Yeah, you can conduct away with your fingers oh, there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, not a million miles away from the marching band music in no, tempo. No, no. I mean, Gilmore's band are another famous marching band. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there is an overlap there. They will play kind of marching band versions of big classical numbers. And mm. again, you can't record an orchestra at this time. There's too many people to fit yeah. in that little room. And, uh, yeah, sound engineering wouldn't be invented, really, for another few years. Mm. Um, wouldn't be called anything for another 20 years or so um so that, that that's what you get um all right so let's let's go to kind of popular culture from from high culture sort of um and uh, there's oh, another thing that you find from this time is spoken word recordings mm. um which will be yeah vaudeville we can say um yeah. one person that you keep coming across wh- whether you like it or not is cal stewart um, uh-huh. So Cal Stewart, he was a pioneer in vaudeville, and especially in these uh, early Sam recordings. Nearly all of the recordings we have, he's playing this character called Uncle Josh Weathersby, uh, who lives in a New England farming town called Pumpkin Centre. Stewart had a long history of working in circuses, medicine shows, vaudeville, and uh, on the road he met uh, Mark Twain and Will Rogers, and uh, they became his friends. Um it was about 1897 when uh, Edison started to get him to record his uh, monologues and some of his songs, and they were instant hits. And uh, this is one of his one of his biggest hits of all. Um, usually, he gives these kind of monologues. In this case, it's kind of a vaudeville scene with a few other characters, and uh, in the end, they go into a kind of uh, dance. So uh, it's called uh, Uncle Josh's Husking Bee. Do you know what a husking bee is? I have absolutely no idea. Is it something to do with corn? Yes. So they they get the corn in and they have mm. a big party where they husk all the corn. Ah, it's derived from slave times. Um. Well, yeah. This is this is up in the north northeast though, the yeah. New England. So so no no slavery involved, thankfully. Yeah. Um. But let, let's 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 have a listen to uh, Uncle Josh's husking bee dance. He's not going to sing apart from at the end. Man, we bought the place while you want the melodeon set. That is right here, Uncle George. Now, Henry, you and Reuben get in that load of corn. This is going to be the biggest husking ever seen in Pumpkin Center. Is the Higgins folks coming, Uncle George? Yes, all of them, including Cy. I guess that's the one you're anxious about. Oh, I ain't neither. <laughs> I hear the folks are coming, Uncle Guy. Oh, yes, they're coming. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them. I hear them too. Hey, there is no harm. Come down in the fall and we show you all what we do down on the farm. How do you do it, now, you boys and gals get to shelter that corn. The first boy that finds a red ear gets to kiss the prettiest gal on the barn floor. Say, hey, Uncle Josh, why is this corn like Kentucky? I'll be darned if I know, Josh. Why, because it's full of kernels, and the kernels is full of corn. He's <laughs> <laughs> Ty got a red ear. He gets to kiss a gal. I believe he had it in his pocket. Take your girl, Silas. <laughs> I, I don't want to. You guys, you got to. Well, come on, Nancy. Emma, Ty. <laughs> on there, Ty. You only found one red ear. <laughs> Light, got your fiddle ready? Yep. 
It's a, a little uncharacteristic as a as an Uncle Josh track by Cal yeah. Stewart because he has a whole studio production there, and I'm, I'm very impressed with the studio production. It's kind of geeky, I know, but mm. uh, how they got all those people in there and engineered it so well that it sounds like a real environment there. That's the good things we can say about that track. Oh yeah, um, I mean as as comedy, it's mm. uh, not funny. Were there people who would produce? these kind of things for a living or is it on a oh, amateur he made, ad hoc basis this was this was his job he made so many of these he's inescapable mm. he made hundreds and hundreds every year and um he he died in 1919 i think it was mm. um so it's a yeah it, it was a big deal for quite a while um and another person that you find many of these from is a guy called len spencer and um i this is a one of his uh uh vaudeville drama productions about uh the most popular one of the most popular uh leisure time activities of the day what what do you think that could be <laughs> you know sitting on the front porch drinking beer with your mates uh, no no <sighs> it's it's something much more wholesome than that drinking beer entirely would be illegal 20 years after this there was a big temperance movement going on of course um this is uh, a, a nice little comic scene about a dog fight. Oh. Let, let's have a listen to that. A little order, please, gents. <coughs> Say, keep them dogs quiet, will you? All right, Timmy. Now, gents, this is a dog fight between two dogs. Mickey Donovan's prize bull tramp <coughs> and Patsy Canary's brindle dog Bellone. <coughs> Say, keep them dogs quiet, will you? All right, Timmy. Now, this fight's to be at 25 pounds. Give or take a pound for $100 and a side bet of 50. And the first thing is the appointment of a judge. Now, has anybody got any objections to Mike Doyle? All right, Michael, judge this fight. And without any outside interference either. Oh, say, keep them dogs quiet, will you? All right, Timmy. Will somebody please lend Mr. Riley, the timekeeper, a watch to hold? Not on your life. Who the devil will hold Riley? <laughs> now then, weigh the dogs. <laughs> hey, will you guys keep them dogs quiet? All right, Timmy. What's that? Mickey Donovan's prize bull tramp tips the scales at 24 and a quarter pounds. Patsy Connelly's brindle dog baloney, 25 and a quarter. Now then, wash the dogs. Oh, say, keep them much quiet, will you? All right, Jimmy. Now then, handlers, get your instructions. 
If either of you picks up your dogs a second time before the dog points, I'll decide again, you see? All right, Jimmy. And when I say put the dogs down, why, put them down. And don't follow your dog, neither. Now, then, are you all ready? Yeah. Well, then, let her go. Have a drink on my dog. Okay, so some good, wholesome family entertainment there. Absolutely. There seems to be something about OK Timmy being hilarious. Yeah, his, his, his dog called Jimmy. I mean, you, you remember, they're in a tiny studio mm. making all these noises themselves. This is a popular vaudeville routine that they've worked out. Um, Irish impressions as well. Mm. Um, you, you know, sometimes they would take a break from making uh, ludicrous stereotypes of uh, black people to make ludicrous stereotypes of Irish people instead. Oh, yeah. There was still a anti-nativist movement at this point. You know, Catholics, Catholics especially, were the work of the devil. If you remember, yeah. even 60 years later, John F. Kennedy is asked if he's going to be the papist candidate for mm-hmm. the presidency. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, it's a, a very prejudiced society mm. in, in the USA at this time. Uh, kind of a yeah, a really a different world we could say mm. that uh, we we wouldn't recognise in many ways today, and uh, it's uh, sometimes I, I feel if I'm watching uh, some kind of drama or something from the time, it's kind of hard to get that across, mm. wouldn't you say? Um, there are some things we just won't show now, I think, because it's, it's mm. it would outrage people. I think. But yeah, the, the kind of I, from from listening to that kind of thing, mm. you just kind of get a feeling of. Uh, I don't know how much culture has kind of slowly changed and in ways that people can't really notice. There's nobody alive who can remember 1901 mm. at this stage. And, um, uh, yeah, uh, I think when when we watch things from back then, the way people communicate their kind of humour, mm. it's, it's, it's very different indeed. Um, I would like to say perhaps that the humour doesn't translate at all to the modern world, but I do have examples from just a couple of years later that mm-hmm. I do find actually funny. So um, maybe it's a more complicated picture than that. Maybe it's a subject matter. It's difficult to laugh at a dogfight now, I think. Uh, yes, possibly. I, I don't know. You could do a comic sketch about it that would be funny, I suppose. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's it's not really a realistic thing. But um, it, it does show you they had very different kinds of values at that time mm. and very different ideas about what was and was not okay to do. Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. You've been listening to Centuries of Sound. I've been James. And I've been Sean. If you've enjoyed today's show, there's a lot more available for you to have a look at. We have a website, centuriesofsound.com, where I post my monthly mixes, which are currently up to the year 1912, 1913, coming very soon. And we have mixes for a couple of recent years, for 2016 and 2017 as well, if you want to hear where we're headed. If you have any comments or concerns or you want to uh, get in touch and recommend something, you can email me at james at centuriesofsound.com. You can come along to our website at centuriesofsound.com. We're on Twitter and we're on Instagram and Facebook, so you can come along there as well. I'd recommend uh, Twitter as the place that's updated most often. Or if you're feeling particularly generous towards the project, you can come along and join our Patreon, which is on our website, centuriesofsound.com. Um, so what have you made of 1901 in general? Well, it's it's interesting, I suppose is the way to put it. I keep going back to this. It's clearly not the music we recognise from even 
20, 30 years later. It's not no, jazz no. music. It's not that kind of swinging thing. So is this a... I suppose it's more of a question, I suppose. Is this a time slowly evolving? Is this music mm. slowly evolving? Or actually, is this a cultural cul-de-sac in which actually we take a 90-degree turn of and reverse out mm. of as quickly as we yeah. came? Uh, well, yes and no. Um you know, we've got this Edwardian era. We're looking at it as a kind of blissful, unknowing summer before this uh, long winter of the First World War and uh, the, the the flu pandemic after that. What we've heard from the music is not so much uh, original. It's more kind of uh, things I put into two groups, like the precursors and the hangovers. So the precursors, you can kind of see these are going to be early jazz but you can't really hear how they're going to turn into jazz quite yet. And some of them are just going to be dead ends, really. Um, then you've got the Victorian music, which is kind of left over, the last kind of uh, bits of that. And some of that kind of turns into like uh, Tin Pan Alley music and uh, the Great American Songbook does have a lineage going through that. The bits that turn into jazz, you might be fairly surprised. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but... Uh, some of these marching band songs, you can hear the, um, you can hear them going into these kind of peacocking solos, and uh, there's an excellent book called uh, "Stomp and Swerve" by David Wondrich, and uh, the, the two elements there, the stomp, you can hear that from that kind of marching band music, and the swerve is, uh, you know, it not being so drilled in the way you do it, so moving, doing these kind of slurred notes and these kind of. Uh, blue notes a little later on and we'll hear some ragtime bands fairly soon that kind of managed to turn that into something more danceable and i don't i don't think you could say funky quite yet but something that you can start to hear how that's going to turn into those early like jazz dance bands let's 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 finish today with uh this is the, the another another band uh, the metropolitan orchestra they're called even though they are just a band and it's called uh, impecunious davis um, what does impecunious mean? Uh, um, do you know? I have no idea. Do you? I, I, I've just had a look. It, it means uh, poor. Poor Davis. Poor Davis. Uh, financially poor. Ah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a, a theme today with the Burt Williams song as well. So, so here we go. This is the Metropolitan Orchestra. Yeah. 